Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast, or vodcast, and this is called Managing the Incidentaloma, Cystic Pancreatic Lesions. And it's interesting, there's been a lot of interest lately on incidentalomas. We used to speak about those as adrenal lesions, but now it's everywhere, from liver, the pancreas, the spleen. And I'm going to share with you a couple lectures I gave this past weekend, which is the third weekend in April, at a meeting called Incidentalomas, run by Mike Federley. So let's take a look. I looked into the uh, on the web, and sure enough, in Wikipedia, there is incidentalomas, and they speak about it in great length and even list the potential incidentalomas, adrenal, renal, pituitary, thyroid, parathyroid, pulmonary nodule, and others. And we're going to do a bunch of others. And in fact, the New York Times has also spoken about this medical problem with incidentalomas and made the point that the challenge, of course, is that you can, and this is only two months ago, that CT scans often turn up incidental uh, problems that are better left unattended. So that's the, in- that's the issue with incidentalomas. And what is the definition? It's an unsuspected finding in an organ or organ system that was not the primary source of patient's presentation. And the key, of course, with, with an incidental finding is to determine whether it's of significance and needs further evaluation, or whether it's a leave alone, do not worry, do not bother me ever again. Now, that is a big problem because it's not as simple as it sounds. You see something, what's its significance? Does another study need to be formed? Do I need a follow-up? Do I need a biopsy? Does the patient need surgery? What do you tell the patient? Whatever you tell them, except for the word normal, they're going to worry about it. Now, you do additional studies, who pays for these studies? Now, it's important to recognize that one of the strengths of radiology, particularly CT, is that we're a global exam. You present with right upper quadrant pain for free. We got the left lower quadrant, the the right lower quadrant, the right upper quadrant. And there are many things that we detect that are of clinical significance. Renal cell carcinomas, aortic aneurysms, lung masses, pulmonary emboli, pancreatic lesions. Two-thirds of all renal cell carcinomas are picked up incidentally. So it's not like everything we pick up is not important. So it's really a very practical problem. The other thing is, in terms of interpretation, when you're looking at a scan, often these end up being scans that are not done as a high-detailed scan. It's commonly an ER scan, rule out anything, or something to that effect. And the scans are done with a single protocol, usually a single phase, which really does limit you in looking at lesion characterization. And also, you just can't get delayed scans or do something tricky because most of the time these incidental findings are picked up when you're reading the study and the patient is long gone from the gantry or the radiology department. Now, let's speak specifically about pancreatic lesions. We did an article a couple years back and found that about 2.6% of patients scanned had incidental pancreatic lesions. This was an outpatient population. Uh, increasing age and the Asian race were two factors which increased the numbers. It also was shown from this study and my experience is that the better detailed scans you have, the more likely you are to see cystic pancreatic lesions. So higher risk scans, better protocols, this number can go up to maybe 10% even. In fact, in MR articles, they even talk about 40% of patients. Between 20 and 40% of patients have incidental pancreatic cysts. That tells you something. So what are we thinking about? We have a problem, three to 5% of patients at a minimum. Most are small cysts or incidental IPMNs. The question is, what do you do with these patients? Do you observe them carefully? Do you do follow-up? Do you do nothing? And it's not just IPMNs 
that are incidental findings. Now we're picking up, because of better detail, incidental neuroendocrine tumors and occasionally incidental pancreatic cancers. Now that's exceedingly rare, but look at this example of an incidental five millimeter vascular lesion in the head of the pancreas, beautifully seen here and on the MIP imaging. This was a neuroendocrine tumor. We didn't pick these up in the past because neuroendocrine tumors are vascular, often have no mass effect, and this is one of the smaller ones, but even a larger one. Look at this case, venous phase imaging. Beautiful looking pancreas, but look at it a bit closer right there. You see anything? Nah, I don't think so. But look what happens if you were to scan the patient 30 seconds earlier. There's a vascular tumor over two centimeters. No, it's not obstructing common duct, and no, it's not obstructing pancreatic duct, and there's no true mass effect, but look at the lesion. It's very obvious there. So it does make the point also that things that we see are very dependent on the protocols. That indeed becomes very important. One more example, renal cell carcinoma, left nephrectomy, routine follow-up, scans look good, but 30 seconds earlier, you would have picked up this large mass which is the metastatic renal cell to the pancreas. So again, incidental findings will be very dependent on how you do the study. The detection of incidental pancreatic lesions is truly impacted by the scanning protocols used. And I could probably say that for most incidental omas, not all, but most. So let's go back to those numbers. Well, we recently published an article that looked at the pathophysiology, prevalence, and significance and recommendations for management of the various cystic pancreatic lesions, recognizing that it's an evolving field, and this article is coming out this year. When we speak about some of the more common cystic pancreatic lesions, we speak about pseudocyst and serocyst adenoma and mucinous cystic neoplasms, or MCN, and IPMNs. Well, let's look at these first. Now, pseudocysts, typically you have a history. The patient has pancreatitis or had pancreatitis. Usually, it's not a difficult diagnosis. You see stranding around the gland. The gland may be inflamed. All of the classic findings. So usually, it's an easy diagnosis. Sometimes patients have had pancreatitis in the past, and it's resolved, and all you have left is a cyst. Then it can be more of a challenge, but usually, it's not too big a deal. Serocyst adenomas are a different challenge. They're often picked up incidentally, but have a range of appearances. The most classic appearance is the easiest to diagnose, but the less than classic can be difficult. Classically, we talk about multiple cysts with thin septations and a central scar, with the scar often having calcification. If you did EUS and you sampled the cysts, they would contain glycogen, but no mucin. Patients are typically older in their late 60s and more commonly in women, and there's three major types. And the three major types, as in this article by Choi, are polycystic, honeycomb, and oligocystic. Those are the three. Now, polycystic is the one we typically think about. It's about 70% of cases, and you have multiple cysts measuring two centimeters or less in size with often a central scar. The second pattern, 20%, is honeycomb. The cysts are larger, the cysts rather are more numerous, under a centimeter in size. So you can see that at times uh, cyst size becomes critical. The one we discussed a moment ago, the polycystic, have around two centimeters, and these are smaller. And the third category is this oligocystic, where it's one big cyst present typically. Okay? We used to call this macrocystic, but again, it's this oligocystic 
serous cystadenoma. And of course, in saying that this, those three categories, I then need to tell you there are atypical manifestations from giant serous cystadenomas to those with hemorrhage to solid lesions. And these others can be very, very difficult to diagnose and probably impossible to diagnose. And an article by Choi talks about all these atypical manifestations. And we'll look at a couple of these in a moment. So let's look at the serous cystadenoma. As we noted, it's typically an incidental finding, but these can grow over time, more common in von Hippel-Lindau and more common in the pancreatic head. They make up about 20% of primary cystic pancreatic neoplasms. Uh, classically, I told you about the classic appearance. Now, several other features, middle-aged and older women, okay, so that's a female predominance becomes important. Half are asymptomatic and half are symptomatic. But even those who are symptomatic present with nonspecific symptoms from abdominal pain to possible mass when it's large to even jaundice. When we look carefully, a bit more detail, targeting down a bit, the microcystic pattern consists of a collection of cysts, usually more than cysts. They range from a few millimeters up to two centimeters in size. The characteristic CT appearance is fine lobular external contour, and that central scar with calcification is indeed very common. Now, one interesting thing about these lesions, even though they get very large, they don't obstruct the patient's pancreatic duct, and that becomes very, very important. Uh, communication with the pancreatic duct, if you see it, although it's reported in rare cases, you've got to be thinking about an IPMN or an MCN. Again, microcystics have no liver mets, typically no adenopathy, no vascular invasion. And here's just a nice rad path correlation. See that very dense central calcification in the lesion and the multiple cystic lesions? Or in this example, that central fiber scar kind of looks like FNH with that central scar. But again, the large cystic lesions. Or in this case, again, nice path correlation. This is from an article by Linda, Cho, Linda Chu. Very nicely showing you the punctate calcifications, the cystic components in the lesion, and here again, more of a cluster type appearance. Now we talk about a honeycomb pattern, and the honeycomb pattern tends to resemble more of a sponge, multiple tiny cysts, and sometimes they're so small a cyst that it's hard to appreciate on CT scan. It just may be difficult to see, and here's an example. Okay, very nicely showing you this cystic lesion. And if you stare hard at it, you can see the various components. And this was a serous cystadenoma. Or in this case, again, a honeycomb pattern. In the honeycomb pattern, you typically don't see calcifications, but you might. And here we kind of see a very faint calcification that's present. And finally, the oligocystic pattern is the most difficult in the sense you have a cyst present. And again, the biggest danger for larger lesions is confusing this with MCN, which is a considered a malignant condition, or IPMN on the lower end of things. So it becomes very important. Important features differentiating serous cystadenoma from MCN and IPMN, external lobulated margins, and lack of communication with the main pancreatic duct. So indeed, there are some features uh, that help you with that. And again, this dilatation of the pancreatic duct typically doesn't happen, except in very rare cases. Now, in terms of age, the patients are usually a bit younger. Here's a nice example of an oligocystic pattern in the tail of the pancreas. And here's another example in the body and tail. 
So again, think about the cirrhosis adenomas of a spectrum. Multiple cysts in the two centimeter range, a sponge, micro cysts, and oligocystic, where there is only one big cystic lesion. Now, in saying that, after I explained everything so nicely to you, I have to tell you there are other patterns. There's a solid pattern, which can look identical. And I looked at a bunch of these with path correlation. To me, I would have read every single one of them as a neuroendocrine tumor. Solid mass, hypervascular, you can see the path correlation, or this thing. To me, neuroendocrine tumor, there's no discussion. I'm not saying a solid serous cystadenoma. The good news in the end is lesions coming out. And occasionally, I should mention also that there's aggressive behavior of some of these atypical serous cystadenomas. It's rare, but they can directly invade into blood vessels or nodes or adjacent structures. Again, it's uncommon, but something to think about. Here's an example of an aggressive serous adenoma obstructing the pancreatic duct. And as I said to you, serous adenomas do not obstruct the pancreatic duct. If I saw this case, I'm thinking of a neuroendocrine tumor or I'm thinking adenocarcinoma. Now, in terms of management, it's important to differentiate serous adenomas from other malignant or premalignant conditions. And again, we pick these up commonly incidentally. The management depends on patient's age and comorbidities, tumor size and location, the presence and absence of symptoms in the patient, local practice patterns, and surgeon preference. And at Hopkins, we tend to be more aggressive. In terms of management, a few other comments. If diagnosis of uh, serous cystadenoma can be made, a surgical resection is usually reserved for symptomatic patients and lesions over four centimeters in size regardless. I think most surgeons feel that if it's over four cm, it's coming out. However, again, this issue with non-classic serous cystadenomas, so again, it can be a challenge. So something to be aware of, and it's not an uncommon incidental cystic pancreatic lesion. Now, in saying that, there are a number of other lesions which can look very similar to serous cystadenomas. We mentioned the pseudocyst. We'll come back a little bit later about IPMNs and other cystic pancreatic neoplasms. But the one I want to really look at is mucinous cystic neoplasms. And why don't we take a break here and let's come back and we'll start with this slide talking about mucinous cystic neoplasms of the pancreas. Be right back. 